Let's see what the stew has for us today. Welcome to the Gnomecast, Gnome Stew's tabletop gaming advice podcast. Here we talk with the other gnomes about gaming things to avoid becoming part of the stew, so I guess we'd better be good. This episode is brought to you by our awesome Patreon backers like the cultured Carla Everson, the esteemed Erica Bond Barbagaris, and the gracious Greg Gordon. Today we have myself, Ange, along with John and Tomas, and today we're going to talk about how to get your players to try new games. Before we get to that, though, we're going to ask a get-to-know-a-gnome question. So what is the first game you played that wasn't D&D? Tomas, I'm going to start with you. Okay. Uh, hello, everyone. So the first game that they tried out bef- uh, after I tried out uh, D&D, I am not entirely sure if it was Fiasco or, or Cold and Dark. Fiasco, <laughs> for those who don't know, is uh, some kind of improvisational game in which you have to mess with some theme or problem that comes out and easily uh, starts going everything uh, worse and worse to the point that everything is chaos and you created a character that knows each other character in some way or form. It's difficult to to explain without uh, some images or something like that, but... <laughs> um, he needs to try it out. It's more of a board game in a way, but because of its improvisational aspects and uh, the that you are acting out as a character, I would say that it's also a role-playing game. Every single fiasco game I've ever played has ended with everything on fire. Yeah. <laughs> Literally. It usually does. That's about the way every fiasco game I've played has done that, except my wife is usually the one setting things on fire through her character <laughs> in the game. <laughs> Well, yeah, and then uh, Cold and Dark, then uh, that's a not very well-known game that I, a guy on the internet, uh, find when I joined a, a Discord group to roleplay with games that wasn't D&D, in fact, and uh, I tried it out, and it's some kind of a space shooting game that had a lot to do with the alien movies and things that are maybe a bit uh, Lovecraftian. It was a pretty good game, but uh, it's not one of the best that I have tried. It's pretty simple to start, maybe. I wouldn't recommend it as much when there are many others that have done <laughs> the same thing, but in a better way. Fiasco definitely is a game that you should try out, though. <laughs> what about you, John? So I uh, had a weird way to come to role-playing games. So I wasn't allowed to play because that was in the 80s during the Satanic Panic. But I was allowed to buy books and read them. So I had like Battletech books and I had D&D books and I had, you know, Shadowrun books. I didn't have any White Wolf books, but, you know, so I was allowed to own them, but not play them. So the first game that I ever actually played was one I created based off of all of those with my friends. Uh, I built a sort of like <laughs> mech clone for Shadow or for, uh, for Battletech, you know, very simple system, very narrative driven. And then. Like, seven years later, when I finally got to college, I actually played D&D 2nd Edition with, you know, with some friends. But no, the, the, the actual, you know, first real game, I think, would probably have been a small Shadowrun game we played sort of off of, you know, those things. Because I'd always been interested in it. I'd always, you know, played the video games, like, loved the books, loved the setting, loved the sort of, you know, sci-fi, cyberpunk sort of stuff. So when I had a chance to play that, it was sort of like just an easy enough we thought, jump into a, a, a different, you know, the different sort of thing. But, you know, nothing is easy in Shadowrun. Nothing is easy. 
For me, it's actually a fairly similar story, although there is one little detour in there. So I started with D&D, first edition. And at some point in that early, I don't think we ever actually played, but we made characters using the Harn system. Oh, God. Which I thought was stupid, because <laughs> I'm like, why are we doing this? Why can't we just play D&D? Well, this is more realistic. And I don't think we played those characters. And if we did, they died walking on a path in a forest or something stupid like that. Um, but the first actual game I played that wasn't D&D was Shadowrun at a gaming convention. Because my GM at the time, Tom, I love him dearly, but the only thing he would run was D&D. <laughs> but he had the Shadowrun book. That very first Shadowrun book with that sexy Elmore cover, uh -huh. you know, of them hacking oh. some sort of ATM looking thing with bikers in the background. And I'm like, I want to know what this is. I want to play in this world. and I didn't actually get to try until we got to a convention and we were able to sign up for a Shadowrun game. Is it as difficult to run and play as, it, as they say, the people on their internet? Uh, it, it, the 80s were a very different time <laughs> when it came to games. <laughs> and there was a lot of moving parts for the game and there was very much an attitude of you needed to be an expert in the system to run a game. And, you know... Most GMs at the time only felt they were strong enough experts in one game to run a particular system. So Tom wasn't yeah, willing to happen. try running Shadowrun when he had only recently gotten comfortable enough to say he could run D&D. And, and there was a lot more complexity to games of that era. You know, the sort of, it, it was a much less popular sort of thing. It was definitely aimed at, you know, a, a subset who had different tastes and different, you know, experiences. Yeah. So there was a lot more math. There was a lot more long list, lots of things to remember. A lot, lot more of a goal uh, to be simulationist, mm -hmm. to simulate something more accurately than to make it mm -hmm. more fun to play. It's like, that is one of the things I'm glad is kind of gone by the wayside in game design, because now it's more, okay, what's going to be fun? Like, okay, maybe it's yeah. not accurate, but it's fun. Exactly. So let's move on to our main topic. While D&D is the elephant in the room with this particular topic, let's be clear, there are plenty of groups out there who only want to play one particular game and are reluctant to try anything else. Gamers can get super comfortable with any particular game, and while there's nothing wrong with that, there's a whole wild, wide world of other games out there that are worth at least taking a peek at. Now, don't get me wrong, this conversation is not intended to bash on any particular game I love D&D, and some of my favorite long-term campaigns use the system. We here at The Stew do not go about yelling at people for having bad, wrong fun. We just want to talk about some of the things you can do to get your players to try something new. And one of the reasons I wanted Tomas here for this is I know he's actually had this journey with his group of players. Yeah, at the moment, I, I am still on, the, on that journey. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it hasn't changed. Yeah, and that's primarily on, we, because of one particular problem. And that is that uh, as time goes on, I'm starting to believe that the games I enjoy running the most are games that are rules light, maybe. Because they help me come up with tons of different things rapidly and have the players do whatever they want without any sort of limitations. That when you're running a, a crunchy game like D&D that has a lot of rules, 
you need to find an explanation why a character can do one sort of thing unless you use the the rule of cool. But uh, some people don't like doing that all the time. So yeah, you have to come out with one way or another to do those sort of things. What about you guys? Yeah, what about you, John? So, you know, I, I have been fairly blessed with a uh, ever-changing group as I move and do stuff, but, but a lot of people who are like, oh, I'll try that, I'll try that, you know. My kind of longest-term group, where I live for the longest amount of time, were always like, ooh, let's, let's do a Shadowrun game, now let's do a, a World of Darkness game, now let's do a D&D game, oh, I have this, you know, let's try a 4th edition game, let's never again try a 4th edition game, let's do a, <laughs> uh, go back to 3rd edition, let's go run, you know, this strange little game we found online. And, and a lot of that was in the days before, uh, as I just out myself as really freaking old, uh, a lot of that was in the days before... You know, the, the indie scene was a lot, a lot more available. You know, indie games you get is like a, a small zine of something that was trying to become, you know, bigger rather than like the drive through RPG, you know, environment we have now and itch.io and just like, oh yeah, you can go find a million different indie games. But once that hit, I, I was in a sort of place in my gaming career where I was introducing games to new people. I was running meetups. I was, you know, uh, living down in Mississippi and we had all sorts of friends who were like, what do we do? We live in Mississippi and we're like, we can show you role playing games. And, you know, so we'd start with fiasco. We'd start with other things. So I currently though, which is, which is really kind of interesting. It's sort of the renaissance of, of D and D that's kind of been brought about by Twitch streaming. I have met a lot more people now who are like, Ooh, D and D. I want to play D and D. But they're definitely more open to other types of games now. So I haven't had a lot of issues doing it. But I have found a couple of like ways when somebody is reticent to do that. You know, usually that one player out of the four at the table. I feel like you can kind of use that 80-20 rule. Find something that is 80% similar, but 20% different. And use that yeah. as a stopgap. Like, mm-hmm. hey, let's play. Uh, he- here's a D20 system using fifth edition rules. That's sci-fi. Here's a modern version using the sort of modern, ver- you know, the sort of fifth edition version of D20. Somebody made a hack for this. You already understand most of this, but there's going to be enough that's different, enough sort of tropes that are different, or even something that's like, you know, hey, we're all playing Shadowrun. Well. Why don't we try Tech Noir? Because it, it's still Shadowrun-esque, it's still cyberpunk, but it's a different system. So, so, so long as there's sort of a pivot point, I've I found that easier to get people to switch their mindsets when they're, when they're just kind of like, no, no, I like this one thing only. Hmm. I think it's important, if you want your group to play something different, it's important to understand why are they reluctant to play something else. For some players, which I think maybe some of what Tomas has run into, is the players feel like they already have system mastery over D&D and don't want to try anything else because they won't have system mastery over it. And that system mastery is something that they want to have that power in the game. Other people, it's more narrative-based. I like my fantasy story. I don't want to go tell a science fiction story or something along those lines. And it's important for you as the person trying to coax everyone into playing something else to understand what is actually the holdup for that player. And I think that can help guide you to how to kind of coax them into things. 
something that I did trying to understand what my players liked about role-playing games is uh, doing some forms or asking them personally what they liked about D&D and why they didn't want to try out other games. So I personally just directly asked them. They told me that they liked the crunch about D&D. They liked that there is a lot of content on the internet that they can look to uh, if they want to make a build for the character maybe. So they don't have to maybe think about one particular character, but they can look for guides on different classes or multi-classes that they can use. And D&D has a ton of stuff for it, whereas indie games don't have as much, maybe. And that's pretty much because of the complexity of the system, that you need those sort of stuff. Because if you did want to try out those sort of things on different games, maybe you just say, I want to be a pirate that has a gun that shoots lasers. <laughs> and I want to be in a fantasy system. Okay, you can, because this game doesn't have that many rules. It's as simple as that. The other problem that they encountered is that they really like fantasy. And that's uh, just... Uh, D&D is the, the perfect system for that. <laughs> so I tried using some other systems that, that are similar in a way, like uh, Pathfinder, Swinehander, mm. uh, or games of the sort, just to try out other games. And maybe if I did have them try other games, they will maybe go play some games that I enjoy most running. Uh, I encountered that they didn't want to learn the rules, and I couldn't be the only one reading all the rules and explaining them. Because even if I did that, that I did, um, they, they will be, they wouldn't want to. Uh, they just, as Ang said, uh, they just knew the system very well and didn't want to try out other stuff. Now here's a question. Are you the sole GM for your group or yeah. do other people step in and GM? <laughs> now see, that's, that's a point where, let's be honest here. If you are the only GM in a group, you can kind of do a power play. And be like, I'm tired of running D&D. I need to run something else. I'm going to run this. And if your entire group walks away, okay, that's kind of sad. Uh, but most of the time, I think the players will be like, okay, fine. I'll play this, this <laughs> indie narrative improv game you want to play. I'll play it once. You know, you'll at least get them to try it. Okay. Or, or there's a middle ground that, that Tomas could use of, Hey, I'm going to run this next thing in Dungeon World. Oh, you're going to run the next D&D campaign? Yeah, I'll be a player. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because if, if we want to go back to my history, I started with D&D, but when I got into college, my college group played Champions. And that was pretty much all we played. There was occasionally a foray into D&D or a foray into the World of Darkness, but primarily my group played Champions. And that was because that was, one, it was the game system we all enjoyed, but there was only one GM who was willing to run it, and that was the system he was willing to run. That gaming group died because he stopped running games. Now, he was flaky as a GM to begin with. We never had a campaign lost longer <laughs> than five sessions before it would die, and then a couple of months later, we'd start up a new one. But part of my problem at then is, like, I, I, I was... Before we were on the mics, I think we were talking about how it, it was a different time in the 80s. And unless you were, unless you had system mastery of a game, you weren't allowed to GM it because you couldn't possibly GM it. Well, that's a whole lot of BS, and I'm glad I've discovered this. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But I didn't start GMing until the mid-2000s. And if I had had 
more confident, I could have gotten my group to play more because I could have been the one to say, okay, I'm tired of playing champions. Let's play something else. Let's play Shadowrun. Let's play, let's play Werewolf. Let's play Changeling. Let's play something else. But because I didn't feel I had that right to step up and offer another game, mm-hmm. it never happened until the 2000s when I found a new group. And thankfully, one of the, the lead players in there was unwilling to have a single GM group. And he was constantly asking everyone, so when are you going to run a game? <laughs> when are you going to run a game? I can't run a game. What are you talking about? You can't run a game. You're a great player. You should run a game. And like that pushed me into GMing the things I wanted to GM. That's right. Well, uh, in fact, uh, going with the points that you were saying, something that I encountered that I could do, and that is a pretty, pretty much what my last article was about on the Gnomes 2, is that uh, you can just find another group of players. And <laughs> I have two groups of players, one playing D&D and one uh, playing another game that they found that they really liked, that is uh, Kids and Brooms. It's a Harry Potter-esque kind of game or the, um, uh, yeah, in which you're in, on a magic school. And well, I found uh, people that were uh, from a different city, from a uh, from here, from my own city, and we all play online on Friday nights, and we just have a lot of fun. Because it is a rules light game, it doesn't take me as much to prepare for those mm-hmm. sessions, so I can prepare for the D&D sessions, and five minutes before the Kids of Rooms games, I prepare for the Kids of Rooms games. <laughs> and that's it. I can play two games per week now, and it doesn't require me much prep. And yep. that's something I love about it. And that, that is absolutely, you know, an important point is you can find a new group. It's it's actually a lot easier now with a lot of gaming online. Mm-hmm. You know, I have, uh, I think I don't have any game where it's just local people anymore. Just because over the last couple of years, we've been like, there's no reason we can't have Scott, who moved to Columbus, join us in our game that he used to play with us all the time when he lived here. You know, there's no reason not to do that. John, what are your thoughts on the idea of the one shot to introduce players to new games? See, I I, I love that idea. And what, what I would often do when I'm running like a long campaign is we're on for three weeks and the fourth week is the one shot or the chill or the board game. And more often than not, it would still be me running something. But, you know, every so often my wife would jump in and like run her game of fiasco or somebody else would be like, hey, I want to try this. I, I found this. And and they would jump in and do it. We used to run a thing called Donuts and Dragons where we get together on Sunday mornings <laughs> and just do one shots of things like fiasco or, th- you know, smaller indie, more narrative games. I think those are really great because, you know, you may not be able to get your your fairly entrenched group to say, I want to try something different. You know, the person who always plays the bard always wants to play the bard. But if they're like, oh, I can do a different thing once. Yeah. All right. Cool. You know, it, it's it's enough freedom to step out of their comfort zone because they know they can go right back to it. But then they may be fine. They enjoy it. I've also found, especially with one-shots and and much more rules-light games, it's easier to come to the table more prepared 
like you said, Tomas, that, you know, you don't have to do a lot of prep for it because it's fairly narrative. There isn't a lot to do with it. But yeah. if you needed to come with pregens to get people past, like, oh, I don't want to learn character creation for another game, you can easily make up pregens mm -hmm. and have them and be ready to go. So, you know, mm -hmm. the, the barrier to entry is just lowered just even that one more inch, which makes it just that much easier. That's actually, uh, that was a mistake I made trying to bring, I can't remember the name of it. It's, uh, I think it was the Sprawl to another group that I game with. I'm like, I'll run this Powered by the Apocalypse game. It'll be easy. Character creation took way longer than I realized it was going to. And so as a result, out of the four and a half, five hours we were together for that session, we only got to play for about two hours because I was taking five people who are completely unfamiliar with the concepts of the system and trying to make characters and not realizing that it wasn't going to go as fast as I thought it was. And if I had pre-made some characters, no, they wouldn't have been able to necessarily put as much of a personal spin on the concept, but it would have let us get into the meat of the game a lot quicker. And that's something to keep in mind when you want to bring a one-shot to your players. Yeah, and, and that's actually, even with regular, you know, gaming, I've found that I've, I've fallen in love with the sort of concept of archetypes, especially if I'm introducing a new system. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, and that's not just because I've been studying a lot of Jungian psychology lately, but because, <laughs> because it's just sort of like, oh, people latch on to these things. They know what they want to play. They know the sort of character they want to play. And if you can give them like, you know, a D&D sort of class, like here's mm -hmm. the idea built out to fifth level. Here's the idea built out to seventh level. Or in, in uh, what I'm currently working on is a more sort of point-based, power-based system, much like GURPS or Champions or BESM, you know. Hey, here's a template of all of the things that automatically fit this archetype for the world we're, we're kind of playing in. Ooh, I like that, except for this one. Cool, don't buy that one then don't you know like but, yeah. but it, it shortcuts so much of that and so now players are no longer going how do i make it cool they're going oh i want this 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 and this this is cool i can go shopping you know i can do some character retail therapy and it suddenly changes it from i have to learn a new thing to i just get to pick and choose right. amongst these options and just little subtle things like that can really change the the sort of hesitance to get into it you know if people yeah don't feel like they have to do a lot of work, they just have to pick off of a menu, that becomes much easier. I think an, uh, another facet of getting players to try new games is maybe don't go from A to Z, don't go from crunchy to no rules at all, go from crunchy to less crunchy, or, you know, like, less yeah. crunchy to less rules. Um, like, I could see having an easier time of taking a pure D&D &D group who's reluctant to try anything else, throwing some Savage Worlds at them. The stats are going to make sense to them. The skills are going to make sense. The dice is going to be new and weird. But I think they the concept could start to, to you know, the, the movement of characters on a map is very similar. And you could, like, slowly mm -hmm. get them in that way. Because I, I have seen... I have seen trying to take a D&D dominant group and get them into a very rules light indie game go completely sideways. Yeah. Yeah, well, I I did try with my own uh group 
Savage World games. In fact, I tried out the, the latest uh, Avatar, the role-playing games that is coming out, or, well, just came out, uh, with my group of friends uh, that only play D&D, and they don't like the Savage World system. <laughs> they don't like the 3D seat system in which they have oh, to that's, roll. Um, and... That's actually powered by the Apocalypse. Uh, powered by the Apocalypse, yeah, I, I'm getting confused. Sorry. Yeah. Uh, well... I... Then I maybe should try Savage Words. Not <laughs> uh, I need to read the rules. But yeah, and one important factor that Sean mentioned a bit earlier is that one great way to have people try out new games is just grabbing some RPG-like board game, like the, maybe the Dark Souls game or something like Clank. There's the Gloomhaven. The trail at House on the Hill. Yeah, as well. That's a great game. I should buy that. <laughs> There's actually a third um, edition of that one coming out this summer. I just exactly, found that yeah, out I'm today. Tabletop RPGs. <laughs> yeah. Grognard. Well, uh, what I was going to say about that is that uh, even if you can't join with that group of players to play a board game, you can try out things like a board game simulator on Steam mm-hmm. that pretty much can work like that and you can uh, get the board game that you're looking forward to playing and try it out. If you like it, uh, then you may buy the physical version. Uh, and that's a great way to to have them try out new things that may not be like D&D but are similar to some other game so you can make the halfway step towards some other game. Uh, or something like that, maybe. It, it sort of greases the gears, so they're like, man, that sci-fi was really exactly. fun. I would love to play a TTRPG of that. Oh, you would, would you? I haven't been trying to get you to play it for months. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that sounds like me. I think uh, another aspect, too, is, is, and this is not for every player, conventions can be a good way to expose players to new games. Obviously, mm-hmm. conventions need to actually be happening. Uh, which has been kind of hit or miss over the last couple of years for reasons. But in general, coaxing your players to a game convention and like, especially like if you are familiar with some of the GMs running and like, oh, this guy's a good GM. He's running. Come, we're going to sign up for this guy's game and get them to play a different game with a good GM. That's a great way to get some people to try new things. I've had a lot of luck at Origins and Gen Con with dragging some of my friends to indie games on demand because generally speaking they have a uh they they have a fairly high quality threshold. I've had one bad experience at indie games on demand and the people running it immediately stepped in to kind of rectify that situation. Otherwise it's always been a fantastic game. Mhm. So, you know, you know, the alternative, because like you said, conventions aren't happening in the same way right now, you know, may, maybe in a couple of months or six months, everything will be normal-ish, but there is a lot of paid GMing going on right now. Mm-hmm. And while a lot of it happens in the D&D world, it wouldn't be unreasonable to, to, to go hire a paid GM who is great at running something else who already has the pregens who like, you know, even if they're like, yep, I have seven games on my menu, you can come play one of these seven. They're probably going to be really good at running and teaching new people those seven. Yeah. So yeah. if you wanted to, you know, be like, hey, I want to be a player and I want to get these people to try something else. Hey, I got you all a gift of this paid GM. Let's go do a one shot of 
this other thing, you know, and, and then they get to kind of get the really good curated experience, mm-hmm. hopefully, you know, for it without you having to do a, a ton of work. Yeah, mm-hmm. I believe. Um, I mean, obviously, it's it's paid gaming, but mm. I believe Magpie actually offers regular sessions of their games, like the new Avatar: The Airbender. Of the last Airbender system, or Masks, or I'm drawing a blank on some of the other games they've put out, but uh, I believe they offer that because I get the the emails on the regular, and it's a yeah. paid spot in a game where you, I mean, you're paying for it. They're generally going to make sure they give you a good experience. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's essentially a marketing sort of thing. So yeah, it yeah. has to be a good experience, otherwise, it it has the potential to lose them money. Mm-hmm. And then there's there are other organizations out there. I have never delved into it, but I believe Roll Twenty offers some connections for you know for gamers in different games. Obviously, a lot of it's going to be D and D based, but a lot of it's not. Mm-hmm. I believe the Gauntlet may still offer some of their gaming connections. I haven't partaken in that in a few years. But that was a good way to meet up with people and try different games. Uh, and, you know, like Tomas said, sometimes you just got to find different people to play with to play something else. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you don't have to leave your previous group. You can have them both if you have the time and you like them both enough. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, uh, something else that I wanted to point out is uh, as regards the magpie thing that you were mentioning. There are sometimes people that host online conventions. I have participated in some of them. In fact, uh, on one of the ones that I attended to uh, last year, on August, I think, I had a James Introcaso a GM oh. again for me. His uh, new, new-ish game, uh, Burn Bright, mm-hmm. that I really enjoyed. Uh, it's, um, it's a shame that it isn't re- uh, receiving that much attention because it's a great system. And I did buy it after he GM'd it for me. And I tried it out sometimes with some players. But it, online conversions are as well a, a great place to try out new games. And you can find them both for free to try them out. Or there are some paid ones as well. Yeah. So, yeah, that's the thing that you can... Many, many of the physical conventions that I have attended in the past did some sort of online component uh, as a mm-hmm. thing. I know I personally, as a GM, have trouble running online for strangers. I can play online with strangers, but running for strangers online was exhausting for me. So I kind of backed off <laughs> on online conventions. But it's it's definitely they're they're definitely worth looking at as well. It's a very different skill set, and I mean, like you you want to do another gnomecast about like the the switch to online. I've been doing that and using things like Tailspire or Wild Shape to <laughs> like to re-emulate that physical in-person presence, and like it it it's a totally different like mental flip to do those yeah, things. So. We can, yeah, we can we can put that on a on another episode because we're getting close to <laughs> yeah we're getting close to the point where Rob's like you're going long. <laughs> So any last thoughts on, on stuff you can do to get your players to try different games? Well, I do have one that even if you can't find a group that there are several ways nowadays to find new groups or maybe try out new games in some other way, there are also smaller games like Fiasco or things like that that you can try out maybe with 
one or two extra people or alone as well. There's a game that I really liked uh, that is a thousand year old vampire, I think. Ah. That is, it is a game in which you are like journaling uh, your own life as a vampire. And there I'm going to plug uh, my own game in here, Tact and, and Wretched. That is a game powered by uh, the Wretched system by Chris Bissett. That is another game that you can try out alone and lasts about two hours long. So you can try out new things if you are like uh, trying playing some other games or maybe recommend it to some other players to try out new things. I know somewhere out there, Senda just perked up at the mention of journaling games. <laughs> she loves those. <laughs> Any last thoughts, John? Yeah, so so one, one last thought that, that I had just had is whatever the new hotness in media and nerddom is right now, use that as your pivot point. I, I totally. the most grognardy D&D loving group that will never switch anything I tell you right now, I could get them to try a Marvel superhero role-playing game if I let them play people with Spider-Man-like powers. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, but like, same thing when Dune just came out. All my friends were like, oh my god, this Dune thing was great. I'm like, hey, you know, I've actually got a game that maybe we could try that's very like that. I could have got them into <laughs> one or two sessions because because people want to, you know, experience those things against different mediums. Yeah. So, so I would say just in general, find whatever your pivot point is that gets you that that Ooh, I am now willing to try that if you yeah. have somebody who's read it. That's a great start. And, and again, I'll repeat what I said earlier. If you're the GM for the group, you can tell the players what they're going to play. <laughs> I mean. <laughs> you can. I have done it. That's how we go to try the other game. <laughs> so this show is funded by the Gnome Stew Patreon. You two can become a Patreon backer by following the Patreon link on the Gnome Stew website to the Gnome Stew Patreon. This ad is brought to you by Whole Milk Homogenous Gaming. So what if there are hundreds of games out there? We're here to tell you our product based on non-factual nutritional value and tell you you never need to drink anything else. If you're enjoying the Gnomecast, you'll probably like many of the other Mr. Mark shows. Here's one to check out. Mastering Dungeons. RPG veterans and game designers Teo Sabadia and Sean Merwin look at the game and the hobby of D&D from a variety of viewpoints. Reporting the news, understanding the business, reviewing the products, and illuminating the design. Whether you're a fan, a player, a DM, or a designer, Sean and Teos cover topics of interest to you. You can find all of us at gnomestew.com, at gnomestew on Twitter, and gnomestew on Facebook. Gnomes, are there any other links you'd like to share or give a shout out to? Tomas, we need that link to the, your game you wrote. Okay, uh, so Stuck on Virgin is a game that in which, if you have seen the, the movie, I think it was called... Uh, the. The one about the guy that falls in the in the mountains and gets stuck by a rock in oh, the hand. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. 128 days. Hi, everyone. Editor Rob here. John almost got it right. The title of the movie is 127 Hours. Yeah, it's a game in which uh, you get to live that experience as a player. And you have to... It's terrible. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so there are animals that are coming for you. There are... You are running out of food, you're running out of water, and you have to survive in one way or another. And the, the system is done in a way that the Ashenga Tower simulates a detention in the game. If the, to- if the tower falls, like the Dread uh, game, if you have tried it out, mm-hmm. so if the tower falls, uh, you die. So <laughs> in, one way, in one way or another. Uh, but there is a card system in which, uh, similarly to the Ratchet system, because it's based on it, you get to maybe survive it's difficult but you can and we will definitely put a link in the show notes on where you can go to get this 
Okay, thank you. So, you think we avoided the stew this week? I mean, it is a little bland. We probably need to spice it up with some other games. Maybe we can. I, I say that's your call. <laughs> <laughs> Gnomecast is hosted by Misdirected Mark Productions, the media arm of Encoded Designs. Clicky, 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 clicky waveforms. Clicky, clicky.